0: Pamela Taylor, on the 10th of February, there was a shock that ran through New Zealand at the news that one of our own had been basically grabbed by a group of police in the middle of the day in Dunedin and taken in and forced into isolation under the Mental Health Act. What is the story of what happened to you? Tell us about that day.
1: I was in my home and... Um, just cooking eggs for my lunch in my kitchen. Then what happened is six people came. three of them were police officers. Three of them were registered nurses. They arrived at my house and they started um, opening up the gate for my section to come in. I told them that they were not allowed on my section and that they were not allowed in my house. but they forced their way in any way, handcuffed me in my kitchen and then took me off to the Dunedin Emergency Psychiatric Ward. Then they transported me to the Waikari Acute Psychiatric Ward, and I was locked up in isolation. They said it was under the Mental Health Act.
0: Okay, so the first question from that, have you had mental health problems? Have you needed professional help? Is this something that is is not out of the ordinary in your life?
1: I've never had any history of mental health problems. I've never had any signs or symptoms of depression I've never had any signs or d- symptoms of psychosis I've been I've never harmed myself or attempted to harm myself I've never harmed another person and I've never even gone around harming property so I've got a clear criminal uh, record without any harm to other people or other properties and I've um, never threatened or harmed myself in any way shape or form.
0: Pamela this is shocking who do you think called the police and
1: why why did they come So what happens is I don't know the reasons entirely. They report that they gave for the discharge from the hospital. So it said that my presenting medical complaint was a family court lawyer. So because it was that my medical complaint was a family court lawyer, I therefore assume that it came from either the father of the children or it came from somebody else within the family court system in Dunedin.
0: So they were saying the complainant was a family court lawyer, the complainant, the person who put in the complaint.
1: My health complaint. So my medical health complaint was a family court lawyer.
0: I'm not quite getting that. A, a complaint can't be a lawyer. Do you mean a complainant, the person who complained, the person who applied?
1: On the piece of paper it refers to my presenting complaint, um my past medical health history, my medications and allergies the clinical management and also my current medical status so the presenting complaint according to the health department is a family court lawyer
0: huh this is not making sense so the complaint would be that you are that you are unwell
1: uh in some way usually if you go to the doctor and you go to the gp or let's say you go to the emergency department with a broken arm so you, you're presenting complaint when you go into the emergency department with a broken arm would be I've got a broken arm and that's in my or the arm sore and I think it's broken can you please look in, into it so in the medical industry I assume that the presenting complaint is normally the health problem so in that section of the pre- presenting complaint in theory it should say that the person is Has a history of depression, has like if it's a mental health thing, it should say there's a history of depression, there's history of psychosis, there is medications for health problems, it's known to people, and that there's signs, symptoms, and here's the evidence to say that the person is mentally unwell or something along those lines. So the presenting complaint isn't a health issue, it's a person.
0: It makes no sense. And we just have to leave that there.
1: That makes no sense whatsoever. Does it name the family court lawyer? Uh, no, it just says a family court lawyer. So I don't know the name of whom it is. And there's lots of family court lawyers up and down the country that could fit that description.
0: This is very odd. All right. So they
1: present when they come into the, into, when they barge in
0: and you try to stop them coming in. Did, did they put a foot in the door to keep it open? Did they force the door? What was the police behaviour itself like?
1: So they um, unlocked the bolt on the gate to come in. So they opened that to come in and I told them they weren't allowed in. And then I tried to close the door of my house. So then um, the policeman put their foot in the door and barged through. And I said that they were trespassing and it's forced entry and they're not allowed in my house. They need to leave. And they didn't leave um, after me telling them that it was trespassing.
0: Why would they need to handcuff you? We're we're seeing this pattern of brutality to women, and I personally now have experienced it. When I was saying to the officer, there's no need to handcuff me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not resisting you. What happened? Did you resist? Why would he handcuff somebody who supposedly has a, a mental
1: vulnerability? Just makes no sense. So I was under the understanding that there is, if you don't verbally say you disagree, then your silence may be interpreted as consent. And so therefore I verbally said, I do not consent. I do not consent to contract. I do not consent to come with you. I'm staying in my house. I do not consent to you being in my house. You must leave. You're trespassing on my property. And so then they called in the radio for backup And then they handcuffed me. So that was my verbally saying I did not agree and I objected to what was happening was the reason for handcuffing me.
0: My God, were they rough? Was it it brutal?
1: I did get a bruise on my left thumb. Um, The bruise was located in that sort of area. It was about the size of a $2 coin. So what happened is when they forced my arms up behind my back to around about where the bra strap line is, which is uncomfortable, and they pushed a handcuff on. It caused a bruise to my thumb where they did that. At the same time, so there was one man twisting my arms up behind my back and putting the handcuffs on. Well, there was a female officer, and she was saying that she needed to touch me down to check I didn't have any sharp objects on me. So she was patting me down all over the place while he was twisting my arm up um, to my bra strap line and handcuffing me. But I, I think there was potentially two of them assisting with the handcuffing while the female was patting me down, or well, that's how it felt like it.
0: Pamela, you're so calm the way you give the account, and it is an account of, of absolute human degradation, humiliation, uh, it's an account of horror of one human to another. There is no way they can argue that this was for the mental wellbeing of a New Zealander no way that behavior would would help somebody who is mentally vulnerable yet you seem surprisingly calm how were you at the time
1: I believe I was um quite calm I was trying to get the names of the people and then I was trying to remember the names of the people it's my understanding now having looked at the law regarding this is that they're supposed to provide the reasoning to you and the paperwork Um, For you. So they didn't provide the paperwork. I didn't get any paperwork put into my hands when I was in handcuffs. So they never provided the reasoning for it. They just said, under the Mental Health Act, that I was going with them without any reasoning or justification or explanation for that. So I tried to get the names of everybody and I tried to remember that. And I grabbed my purse, but I wasn't able to grab anything else. I didn't know where I was going and for how long I was going and why they were taking me. I just knew that they were taking me, and I tried to get the names of the people and tried to remember that. So once I got to the hospital,
0: wait a minute. At what point did you have time to grab your purse? Was that before they actually they actually handcuffed you, or afterwards?
1: There was a couple of things that happened in the uh, during the activity. I said I quickly needed to do uh, something with my computer, and then I put on Gab Help on being kidnapped by the police and push send. And then I grabbed my, my purse and then I was, I I feel like, I feel like they took my purse for me because my hands were in handcuffs as they took me out and dragged me out to the car. And so I tried to grab at my purse. And so I, cause yeah, I, don't, I can't imagine how I was carrying my purse when I was in handcuffs. So they they, one of them carried my purse because I tried to grab it.
0: I'm not surprised if some of this has gone blurry because there's a level of trauma and and it's such a shock when this happens. Okay, so that was smart of you to go onto your computer and say, help, I'm being kidnapped. At that point, did some of your friends online see that? And, and did people start to send the messages of what was going on then?
1: So that was my first message out that something happened. And so uh, one of my friends saw that within an hour and started reposting that around. And so that started doing the rounds of where is she, what's happened, why is she being kidnapped, which town is she in? Those sorts of discussions started happening underneath that post. Then what happened is I was at the Dunedin Emergency Psychiatric ward. and as soon as I arrived there, they had Dr. Fanshaw there and he came in to do a psychological assessment. So I said I did not consent to do a psychological assessment. And so then he wrote down that I was mentally disordered. So I got given some paperwork after that assessment had been done without my consent. So after that, they printed off the paperwork in the hospital and gave me the paperwork to say that I was now required to undergo five days of assessment at Wakari uh, mental health facilities. And that's when I got the paperwork, and it just said um, mentally disordered. And then I got the pen out of my purse and then I started writing down all the details that I could remember about the names of all the police officers and the nurses and everybody that I'd come in contact with.
0: That was smart.
1: That was smart. Could you remember their numbers? Could you remember their names? Yes, I had um, quite a lot of details on it. Like I've got, um, sorry, you don't like reading it. But um, this one here was written at straight away, but there you go. And um, it just says that I was kidnapped by Tivia Turner 1456, Debbie Foster, nineteen, eighty-six, seven. Vicky Paul, forty-one, eighty-six, or um, sixty-eight, eight. L Y thirty. Thompson T M F Y six seven. And Brandon B H J four thirty. So um. So what? Those are all their numbers. Those are their numbers. That's the names and numbers of the people that came into my house and kidnapped me. Pamela, how did you remember all that when you were under such trauma? I was trying to get it written down as fast as I could.
0: But that is that is not a woman who is mentally unsound. I asked that question for that reason. That is a woman who's extraordinarily cogent under extraordinary pressure. By this stage, were you feeling what, what the design of this feels to me to isolate you, intimidate you? In other words, break your spirit. Were you feeling broken or were you still calm and clear as as you come across when you explain this right now? Were you feeling calm? I will get through this or will you panicked?
1: I believe I remained very calm. You've got different emotional responses. I felt like I switched on to this hyper sort of alertness where I was trying to remember everything possible and I was stressed by the situation and I was thinking I've got to remember everything. And so I'm trying to um, record as much in my head as I possibly can and trying to write it down as soon as I get the chance to. So when I was in the Dunedin Emergency Psychiatric Ward after Dr. Franchier left, I did get a phone call out and I started ringing some people as well while I was waiting for my paperwork. So when I was getting transported from the Dunedin Psychiatric Ward by police up to Waikari, I had Hannah from Counterspin on the phone with me at that time. I want to give Counterspin a
0: really big thumbs up here. They did an extraordinary job that day. As soon as they heard, they were there with you, weren't they? And they were getting it out to New Zealand.
1: I was on the phone with Hannah and then they came to transport me from the uh, Dunedin Central Psychiatric Ward to the Waikari one. And so then I was asking all these questions in the car and I'm pretty confident that Hannah was trying to remember everything that I was saying. Um, through the phone call as much as possible because then she did her press release afterwards so she was uh, wanting to ring me later on but she couldn't get through to me because um, later on at Waikari acute healthcare facilities when I was in isolation I had my phone removed from me and so I wasn't able to continue phone calling people for assistance and I wasn't allowed internet access and so I wasn't allowed to email out to ask people for assistance
0: What were the questions you were asking and were you getting answers to them when you were being transported?
1: I was asking questions as to why. Why was I being taken under the Mental Health Compulsory Assessment and Treatment Act? On what grounds is this happening for? Is it because I ran for Mayor of Dunedin? Is it because of my political views? Is it because I'm unvaccinated? Is it to do with the family court? So I'm asking questions as to why and they will not give any justification or explanation as to why this is happening. Even with asking under the Official Information Act and the Privacy Act um, through Sue Gray initially when I was in um, Waikari Emergency Isolation Ward thing, um, even there and afterwards, I've sent out multiple messages trying to ask why, and the only explanation so far is the family court lawyer.
0: This is just extraordinary. This is, this is, if New Zealanders doubt that we are going the way of communist China, this interview will open your eyes. This is absolute breach of human rights. This is absolute breach of human respect and dignity. How dare they? Hmm. Uh, let's, let's go back to the doctor who, who, who said that you had to have five days of examination simply because you said you did not consent to being examined by him. It's, it's very catch-22. Hmm. Did you ask him those questions? What was his name? Fanshawe.
1: Dr. Nigel Fanshawe. So I did not consent to um, do the assessment. And so he wrote that down as being a mentally disordered person requiring further assessment?
0: Dr Fanshawe I would really like to do an interview with you on this Nigel Fanshawe in Dunedin I would very much like to ask you about this and cross-examine you and I would ask mainstream media to do the same that feels like an abuse of medical uh, of medical standards of ethical medical standards okay so he wouldn't answer questions Pamela he wouldn't tell you why?
1: I didn't necessarily ask him why, because I was asking later on in the car why all the time, and I think I was asking in the house why, so I don't know if I asked him. I said I did not consent to an assessment with him, and that was written down as being mentally disordered. What I've done since then is I've written an email to the the medical council to report him, because... um, Doctors, in theory, are supposed to have the consent of their patients and should not be doing assessments or treatments without the consent of their patients. So I have made a complaint regarding him doing an assessment without my consent.
0: Good. Well done. You're very, very clear thinking. So now you left us where you were being taken to Ikari, and what happened there? These people who were with you in the transport, did they show you any kindness, any compassion? Did anybody so far show any humanity to you
1: no they didn't show any respect to my personhood or to me in any way shape or form I went into the wakari isolation room and to describe it it's about the size of a bathroom and with that sort of size it's designed like a bathroom it's got a concrete slab and a mattress on it little drinking fountain with a paper cup It's got a toilet and a shower and the shower nozzle comes directly from the roof and it's got windows around it so that they can watch you the whole time and the lights are left on 24 hours a day, seven days a week so they can monitor you. And so the room itself has nothing to entertain yourself with and it's basically a bathroom with a concrete slab and a mattress on top. And so it looks like a cell. Now, they also... Um, have beside the shower a big window so they can watch clearly you if you're having a shower. Now the room came with two sheets and one polar fleece blanket and a pillow and a pillowcase and a mattress and a paper cup as the activities. So because I was in that, I also got use of a bit of carpet just outside that room, but I wasn't allowed to go through to any other area. So I was meant to stay in that locked area the carpet just outside of that small bathroom kind of bedroom area smelt like urine and it was very filthy so I was supposed to stay there in isolation without a phone and without internet access potentially without family or friends knowing that I was had been taken there by police car and stay there for multiple days just with nothing really so one of the concerning things is I had to request to have toilet paper because that's that might be a harm to myself if I had toilet paper rolls sitting beside the toilet or something. I did end up, um, because it went on to Counterspin, I did have people find out about it and they started coming to visit me. And so one of my friends went around to my house and got a change of clothes, some changes of clothes for me and brought back a bag with some bath, bathroom sort of supplies, like my makeup but then I wasn't allowed access to my makeup. So lipstick and foundation and your normal makeup activities are considered a health hazard for your assessment. So you're not allowed access to your normal shampoo, conditioners, all those sorts of things for health and safety reasons, apparently. So it's very bizarre and it's very, very degrading of people that they're put in this little prison cell without access to a lawyer. So Sue Gray... She heard about me quite quickly because one of the phone calls I did earlier on was to a person in Dunedin and, and then they started ringing Sue Gray. And so Sue Gray heard about me long before seeing it on Counterspin and she was already trying to get active and trying to get me out. And so there's a great amount of respect and thanks that need to go to Sue Gray because she was doing an extraordinary amount of work. She was ringing up and trying to say that she was my lawyer and she wanted to speak to me but they didn't want to let me have a conversation with my lawyer in case that was going to emotionally distress me and my mental health assessment.
0: Oh, Pamela. If, if somebody was balanced and went into a place that you've just described with the lights on and a window where they can watch you shower and nothing to do and no kindness and a, and a urine-covered carpet, that would make many people go quite unbalanced and you remained very cool and balanced throughout i agree with you i want to give the other big ups i want to give uh, to sue gray huge credit to sue i know the work she did and straight away she dropped everything and did everything she could to help you she's an extraordinary woman and i think many in new zealand need to remember in future years how valiant she was on our behalf over and over again so yeah a, a real a real call out to Sue. Thank you.
1: She did a lot. She um, Because on Monday morning, when I finally got the phone and they gave me a list of the mental health lawyers that I could contact. So I'd taken off Friday lunchtime. On Monday morning, I was given a list of phone numbers of mental health lawyers and the phone from section to make some calls. So I rang up three of them. And I rang and said, hello, it's Pamela here. And they said, are you Pamela Taylor? And I said, yes. And I asked, um, how, do you, how do you know that? And they said, Sue Gray's already phoned us. And so she'd already gone through the list of mental health lawyers in the Dunedin area and had been phoning around that by the time I get given a phone to ring them, they already know my story and all about me already.
0: And when you say mental health lawyers, you mean people familiar with the way this supposedly mental health system, it sounds like a mental sickness system in New Zealand, works. They were familiar with how it works. Is that what you mean by mental health lawyer
1: for um not depriving us of our human rights of access to a lawyer they take you on the friday but on the monday morning they give you access to a phone and a list of mental health lawyers or advocates that you can phone for legal support to get out so they just leave you over the weekend without that and then they provide that on the monday morning
0: so how was that sunday so you you were taken in there on the friday well, take us through Saturday and Sunday. How did you get through those two days? They must have been very long days.
1: Friday night was I spent that I asked for paper in, from the reception. And then I tried to write down everything. And I wrote lots of letters, trying to do all the common law things I could remember and trying to record a statement of fact about everything that happened. And then I was putting the pen on my thumb and trying to do the thumb pinch. Say I was living woman and I have an alienable rights that come from God. And I have a right to respect. I have a right to freedom of movement. I have a right to freedom of speech. I have a right to a lawyer. I have a right to political opinions and beliefs. And So I was listing all these rights that we have or we're supposed to have and declaring them on a statement of fact and then trying to deliver that to the reception and um, and also saying that I do not consent to this and I want to be released now so I was doing those by paperwork on Friday night. So Friday night, I was writing and trying to deliver my notices. I I asked for them to photocopy them and to sign them and to give me one copy back and to put it on the record because I was trying to deliver statements of facts to them and have a record that they had received it and the date and time of these messages going through. So that's what I was trying to do. Again, Pamela, that's
0: very clear thinking, very clear thinking. That is not somebody who's mentally impaired at all. Well done. Did they accept those? Were they supportive? Were they, were they willing to do the photocopying and, and help?
1: Uh, yes, I, I think that they photocopied a copy. I only got one signature at one stage, but the rest of the time they wouldn't sign anything. Yeah, so I did that. So that probably went on the record that I was writing these letters saying that I had human rights and that I do not consent and I object and I want to be released now. I also started writing letters in which I said that I wanted to have, um, I have a right to have access to communication. So return my phone and give me my computer and things. Because my friend that came got the clothes, also brought a computer back for me to use, but they wouldn't allow me to access it. And so I was trying to claim I've got a right to communication, so give me my phone and my computer. And I have a right to my own property, so give my property to me. So I was listing off rights and declaring that I wanted these things fixed.
0: Were you speaking to them in the tone with which you're speaking to me now? Was it this calm tone? Were you yelling? Were you? Many people would get frustrated, but how did you cope?
1: I I believe that I was using a calm tone and also I was writing reasonably clearly um, what I wanted. The Saturday, because the Friday was spent writing letters, the Friday evening, the Saturday was spent walking and reading the Bible around and kind of walking around the small enclosed space. I was allowed a visitor on the Friday for 10 minutes and I was allowed a visitor on the Saturday for 10 minutes. Then on the Sunday, I was allowed more visitors, which was good because it was really, really boring with nothing to do in that sort of tiny space
0: did you manage to sleep Pamela did you manage to actually sleep those nights
1: so it was quite difficult to sleep on the first night because on the first night Friday night I spent a while writing everything and I was in a bit of an excited state after being kidnapped and put inside a locked up room that um, made me feel a wee bit stressed so I was busy writing my letters so I got I did get off to sleep, but it was also bright with the lights on all the time. And every 30 minutes they have somebody there look at you and then they record what you're doing on oh their notes. God, this is so
0: inhuman.
1: You lie in your bed and the lights are on and it's very bright. And you're um, so I put a sock over my eyes to try to make it easier to sleep, and then you look through the window, and there's somebody there looking at you and they're writing down that you're looking at them back and so that's kind of awkward um so the first night I didn't sleep so well the second night I got a better night's sleep because I had the sock over the eyes and I slept better the Sunday I was allowed more visitors and there was quite a lot of visitors that came um I had my visitors had decided a new strategy to try to see me so on the Saturday they'd come and some of them had come three times and had been turned away three times on the Sunday they decided that they weren't going to leave and so um, I had a whole group of visitors that said that they were just going to wait until they got to see me and so I ended up with visitors from about two in the afternoon till 8 30 at night but also I heard that I kept getting constant phone calls coming through the reception for me now when I had a visitor they wanted to have two staff in there and those staff were for the purpose of writing down the conversations
0: Oh my God, this is this just gets worse. And, and what reason did they give for not allowing you the everything that creates sanity in human beings sounds as if it's being removed. What reason would they give for not allowing you the privacy and the human dignity of a private conversation?
1: What was their reason? Their reasoning for everything seemed to be that it was for my own good. Uh, I found out from one of the pieces of paper that you have the right to know the benefits and risks of your healthcare and treatments. And so I did officially ask for a list of all the benefits of this prescribed mental health treatment that I was receiving. Um, they haven't replied with the benefits because if that's all the mental health thing, they go into your house, grab you, handcuff you, drag you off, lock you in the little room that's crowded, tiny, and isolate you from your friends and prevent you from doing your normal hobbies and activities it doesn't really feel like it's focused on creating the best sort of health outcomes
0: and a bright light on all night with with strangers watching every half hour and a light that makes it impossible to sleep we all know sleep is a key to mental well-being this is This is absolutely George Orwell in New Zealand. This is Orwellian and everything upside down. This is for your good when it's patent that this is very, very bad for a human being there will have to be an investigation into this so take us through to Sunday at least with these visitors and certainly there were messages about you going everywhere all that weekend while you were locked down a lot of people really caring about a fellow Kiwi they didn't even know but really wanting to know what was going on do you think that the treatment changed once they saw how many eyeballs were on this thanks to counterspin thanks to Sue Gray, thanks to all these visitors. Do you think they started to treat you better from Friday, say, compared with Sunday?
1: Yes, the treatment changed each day and improved each day. The first day it was, oh, you shouldn't have got yourself in here. Um, And it's like, well, I don't know why cooking eggs in my kitchen did get me in here. I'm very confused about that. Why did that happen? And so the First day, the perception of the police officers and all the nurses are basically that you must be the sewer ratch, subhuman, mentally psychotic psycho running around killing everybody kind of person. It's basically that they consider that if you say you do not consent to this, they consider that you must be delusional, that you wouldn't want people to be handcuffing you in your house. At the beginning, it's just total contempt and complete disrespect and complete disregard for the human person with absolutely no interest in their well-being so that is the- coming through in a number of these interviews
0: of police abuse even the abuse on the freedom people in the freedom village last year a year ago the 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 sneering and the calling people pieces of shit from police officers who are meant to represent us and be looking after us and are paid by our taxes it is there is something extraordinarily wrong in our police force for them to be so lacking in understanding of human psyches and in basic humanity. And I'm putting a call out we need a full inquiry into our police force. So okay, we had the sneering, the disregarding of you as a human being on Friday. What happened over time?
1: Well there's even the thing of of food. So I was trying to prepare my lunch on Friday and I potentially didn't get food or drinks for about eight hours. So anybody who has any form of blood sugar or health issue, if they're deprived of the normal medications, I don't have that, but if they're deprived of food and water for eight hours unexpectedly, then that's going to make them feel more stressed. Now on the Sunday night, I didn't get my dinner till 8.30 at night. So when you're in an environment where you can't just access food or water when you'd like it, that makes you more vulnerable as well. So, that is a health thing. So, the treatment did change because the first day they thought of me as a subhuman thing that they don't have any regard for in any way, shape, or form. And then on the departure day, they were saying, Oh, we're so sorry. And I hope you don't give us a bad review for our, our dirty carpets. And so, the assumption in my belief now, they could potentially be using the Mental Health Act to go around and grab anybody they don't like for any particular reason, Um, even if they haven't committed a crime or harmed anybody else or harmed themselves and do not have any mental disorder, they might still take them under this act, then remove the access to phone and internet and put them into isolation and they hope that nobody will notice them missing. So um, one of the mental health things called psychosis is having a delusion And the definition of a delusion is a belief that's not mainstream, a belief that's not common with other people around. And so we have the people who have the most authority in our society, and they put their side of the story out on the media, on the mainstream media. And if you have a belief which is not mainstream, or not as common, or not their belief, they call that a delusion. And delusion is a serious mental health issue, in which they try to lock you up, and they, um, because your brain apparently doesn't work, that you think differently. So this is a concern because it means that they they didn't write that I had a delusion at all. But they, it's hard to know what caused them to grab me in the first place to put me in there because they haven't disclosed that information to me. Are you not able to access your records with the Ministry of Justice? I have no. Uh, records with the ministry of justice um then with the ministry of health i have no medications no allergies no known health problems no known mental health problems and um with the dental ones i don't have any filling so um the list is quite scarce on these things that there's no medical health record that says there's a problem and there's no criminal uh, record that says it um harm to anybody. And so with those departments, the health and the criminal one says it's clear, slight sort of thing. And then so why have I ended up in there?
0: That's very, it's very good point that you, that we've underlined here. But what about the records from the time that you were in the lockdown? Have you been able to access those records, Pamela?
1: Not sufficiently. So with I've used the Official Information Act and I've used the Privacy Act. And the one that has the most information is the, discharge notice that says that my initial complaint is a family court lawyer and then it goes down and says I have it says that I was polite and pleasant on interaction humor was evident that I had an okay mood and I was passionate and dramatic manner of speaking it goes through and lists a whole lot of things but it says I've got no symptoms of depression or any other mental health problems Um, so it's a certificate of sanity that I've got now But there's nothing to say why in the first place.
0: It's extraordinary. Can we go as far as you're able to talk into the family situation that you have? You have children that you are now in a shared care situation with your former husband. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's correct. So in my family situation, um, what happened is I separated from the father of the children in January 2019. Yeah that's right yeah Um, and so then what happened is he was in Australia and I was in New Zealand for a while then we had the whole COVID activities which made it harder to travel between the two countries. When it came to 2020 and they're doing the vaccine mandate I was working in an industry where I made coffee and sausages and, and pies and those sorts of activities for customers so there was A lot of talk about bringing in a mandate where people who are providing food and services like that are unable to continue doing that without getting um, the COVID-19 vaccine. So I left my job at about that timing. And then I went from Invercargill with my three daughters up to my Westport property because my Westport property had been involved in a flood earlier and I hadn't been up there to check on it yet so the flood water had come underneath my house and I went there to be able to to do the repairs and um, looking after my property that is normally expected of somebody if it's been involved in a flood so I went to the Westport and the father of the child um, immediately phoned child youth and family and said that it was child abuse and child neglect on the grounds that I had Um, COVID-19 delusions and that I had gone to Westport so they visited me in the house within 13 days of me getting there to check on it after the flood and to do flood repairs to then write a report so that was they visited you do you mean do you mean that was another police visit so that was a visit from child youth and family on the grounds that the father of the child the children had said that um I had Um, delusions, mental health problems, and that I was, um, I believe that COVID-19 injections were dangerous. And so they went there because I believe COVID-19 injections are dangerous. That's why they went to investigate why I was doing repairs on my house after a flood. It's really frightening, Pamela, because the information that's coming out is
0: showing that, in fact, the delusional ones were the former Prime Minister who kept telling New Zealanders that that jab would stop transmission. And the truths that are coming out now include the fact that Pfizer never tested for whether it would stop transmission. There alone, to everybody who is still believing in the government lies, there's something you should investigate as far as real delusions. I understand the uh the man in question may have some links with the university down in Wellington, in Dunedin. We won't say much more, but we do know the university in Dunedin is highly funded. By Gabby, which is an offshoot of the Gates Foundation. We also know that Michael Baker, Susie Biles, I think Sean Hendy as well have links with the University of Dunedin, highly funded by the Gates Foundation. So delusional is something that could very well be put to those people. And in future years, this evidence will come out more and more. However, Pamela, I, I raise all that because there have been, there's been word that also in the courts in Dunedin, There have been extremely uh, conservative judgments coming from some of the judges in Dunedin courts saying uh, that they totally support the political moves by the government on mandates, the political forcing of New Zealanders into jabs. Are you aware of any of that?
1: I'll carry on with my story from the, the Westport one. And I'll answer that question in a few moments, a couple of sentences. Okay, so after going from the Westport House where I replaced a floor that had gone wet from a flood, um, I then moved into the house with the father of the children in Dunedin. And it was as a flatmate arrangement. So we had the big lockdown where much as being unjabbed, we weren't allowed to go to any of the normal recreational activities that we usually do because of those traffic light system. So then in February, I went to the Wellington protest and then I was served parenting orders under urgency the day that I returned from the Wellington protest. So, at the Wellington protest, I read out a speech and I read from the United Nations uh, document on the civil and political rights. And there's a video of me reading that out on um, social media platforms. So, I came back and the parenting order under urgency was filed for the 25th so this was our entry into the family court system was to straight away jump for parenting order under urgency now the grounds for the parenting order under urgency it was filed because it was an emergency I'd gone to Wellington to be part of a protest I believe the COVID-19 injections were dangerous and that um, they yeah, thought it was a mental health problem And that that, um, by me being unjabbed, believing it was dangerous, um, that that was harming the children. So that that took me straight into the courts one week later, in which the courts were incredibly hostile towards me. So the courts had even written in that newspaper that they didn't think any parent who had not taken the COVID-19 injection deserves to be a parent. So that was the level. So there were cases where they were saying that the parents, that the children had to be jabbed and the parent had to be jabbed in order to see the children. When you
0: say Um, the courts, let's be specific, are you you alluding to to one judge who made that comment in, in the court in Dunedin?
1: So that's been happening in the Dunedin Family Court, that they have had this stance that a parent, a biological mother or father of the child, Um, shouldn't even see the children if they haven't had the injection has been what they they were willing to put into the newspaper regarding this that was in the otago daily times pamela i i believe it was about march
0: if anybody else in the dunedin court system has had an experience like that of of being persecuted for holding a different view from the view that the government holds they're just a government they're just a transitory group of people in for three years. They're not God, that we're not in communist China. They don't dictate all our lives and we do not all have to agree with our government. If anybody else has, has found the same thing in the Deneeden courts, could you please contact me urgently? So Pamela, you were called in basically as a kind of punishment, a quid pro quo for going to the Wellington protest and expressing your views in a democracy.
1: Yes, they were very derogatory and insulting towards me and hostile towards me. In what way? They were claiming that it was child abuse that I read books to the children and child abuse that I take them to the beach and child abuse, I go to the playground with them. So they that were- That doesn't sound, that doesn't make sense. Why would they say that? They were wanting to be as insulting as they could to me because of my unjab status. So when I went into the- But family, that does not make sense
0: that any- any lawyer or judge would say to you, "It's child abuse to take children to the beach." Uh, is this exaggeration? What What are you meaning by that? Because that the, even the most insane person would not make that claim. Surely,
1: they were um, insulting me for every activity or belief or hobby or interest I have. There's uh, the family court lawyer representing the, the father of the children was in the courtroom just basically yelling insults at me and saying that I was basically the worst type of human being on the planet. So that was how the conversations went. Again, Pamela, I have to be very,
0: um, I have to be judicious here with these claims. Are you saying a, a judge was, uh, a lawyer was yelling at you or was he making statements?
1: They were very strong statements from the judge and also from the a lawyer representing the, the children's father.
0: But they weren't yelled, they weren't yelling. They were
1: very forcefully spoken, that they strongly disagreed with me and everything about me. One of the reasons was because of the jab and going to the protest.
0: So can you take me back to that claim that they said taking the children to the beach or reading stories to them was uh, abuse? I, I just I am stuck there because because where there's one claim that's uh, markedly you know exaggerated, then it undermines the other claim. So I need to understand what you meant by that.
1: Well, I would like to have a record from the courts of exactly what was spoken. because as far as I can remember, every interaction with the family court and the family court staff has been intentionally insulting and undermining of me. In a very, very aggressive manner.
0: Mm.
1: And so, and I feel like all of their claims have essentially been wrong. So they're saying I'm mentally disordered, and it's like, no, I'm not mentally disordered. And they're saying I shouldn't take my children to art classes. Yes, I should be taking them to art classes. So it's always been one insult after another for the whole process. So it was very, very different standards. So keep in mind that. I was meant to be in a different room of the court building than them because I was unjabbed and also I wasn't wearing a mask. So I wasn't even allowed in the same courtroom because I needed to be on a Zoom call because they were trying to treat me differently um, than them and wanted me separated and segregated. So,
0: I would say this, Pamela, you've been under extraordinary, prolonged stress as a mother going through a divorce. That's what I'm picking up. An extraordinary packing down of additional stresses on you and I am not surprised if you sometimes make mistakes or feel something is is more stressful than perhaps it was I'm not surprised so I think we have to make allowance there but what I'm getting is your perspective was the whole experience was unbelievably traumatizing for you in that court would that be fair
1: I believe that it goes in the thing of intense verbal abuse. Interesting. Intense verbal abuse, segregation because you're not allowed in the same courtroom because you're a biohazard and so they don't want you in the same courtroom and firm, loud insults which are complete lies and repeatedly doing it over and over again. So that's my experience of it and because a family court lawyer wanted me to be removed from my house and put into the psychiatric ward that is only a physical representation of what's already been a verbal thing in the past it's only reflection of the other stuff that's happened
0: there is one I mean it sounds horrendous it sounds just beyond inhumane we used to be such a humane caring country New Zealand I I just think it's it disgusts A lot of us, I'm sure, who watch this, many of us will be asking what is going on in our family court system, as well as in our mental health system, which is not about health. I need to now get to the secondary police invasion. Can you tell us the story of that?
1: A policeman came around to my house on Thursday, about the 23rd of February, at about eight o'clock in the morning.
0: So this is about two weeks after you'd been taken in forcefully and treated 13
1: like days after. And so he's knocking on the door and he's wanting to come in to see me. And I kept the door locked. And I was actually in the shower when he was first started knocking. And I told the children not to open the door. And he said his reason was because I was harassing people by telling them that I had been kidnapped by the police. And so that was the reason was to tell me not to harass people by telling them that I'd been kidnapped. Pamela, uh,
0: the, here, here we go again, the upside down world. They've harassed you mm. and now they flick it over to say you've harassed them. I'm up for assault. I've got the wrist in the bandage. And the person who did the assault has got no injury. Everything's upside down. But here we have your children involved. And here it's eight o'clock in the morning. And he's claiming this. Did you harass anybody? Let's clear that up first.
1: Um, Not that I knew of. I have informed people that I was um, taken out of my home while cooking eggs. And I've definitely told people about that. I feel like since the justice system or the police system is seem to be weaponized against me, that my only protection is to actually inform people that's what's happening so that then they can keep an eye out and be able to kick up a fuss of things not looking good so yes I have informed people
0: that is the right of every New Zealander to speak to their friends and tell the truth there's a line in the Bible in John the truth shall set you free and we have a right to tell each other the truth so so did you explain that quietly through the door to the police officer no I've told friends what happened I'm not harassing anybody
1: well I've told my neighbors I've told people that I've seen around town And I've told people online and I've told yourself and I've told Counterspin Mm -hmm. and it's been on Alex Jones's show and it's been on Gab and it's been on Facebook. So I have told the community what's happened.
0: I think that's called free speech. I think that's what it's called. So did you explain to the police officer you exercised your right to free speech and explain to people what went on? Did you say that through the door?
1: I told him a lot of times to go away and I didn't want him there. And that I have a right to tell people if I've been kidnapped and that he should leave. And what happened then? He did leave after a while. So the first time with the abduction, I remained quite calm. The second incident, 13 days later, I felt I had more of a uncalm emotional response. So it was, I was quite concerned when I was in the shower that they were trying to force their way in and try to handcuff me again when I was naked and drag me out to the psych ward again. So it made me think like that and it made me feel incredibly unsafe having them at my door trying to get in so I had a more of an emotional response the second time than what I did the first time the first time I was on hyper remember everything and try to stay as calm as possible that time I was more emotional and um yeah I was more frightened and I didn't even get his name yeah Pamela that is normal uh, any, uh, I think most
0: of us, if we've gone through what you've gone through the first time, would have had a highly emotional response to the, uh, the abuse you went through. As it was, you had the, the clear thinking to stay calm the first time. But to do it again 13 days later is clearly to try to unnerve you and to try to discombobulate you and it's absolutely normal it shows a normal human response when you're under threat what what when how are you coping with the anxiety that they are trying to drive up how are you and how are your children coping
1: the bigger thing is still the family court issue so i find that the grabbing me and taking me off to the mental health thing is a smaller event than the family court one because i'm wanting my children out of that family court system completely because I've never seen them reflect any interest in my well-being, or even interest in the safety of children, I feel like it's quite hazardous them being in there. So to me, if you think of the stresses, um, I'm eighty percent stressed about that family court thing because I feel like there's a group of people that have absolute disregard, contempt, and disrespect for me and my children, and then and that's still ongoing, and I'm trying to get out because I've, I've tried different ways of signing under duress and of, and saying I do not consent and I do not consent to contract and I object and I don't think this is in the children's best interest. But I, I still can't seem to be able to get out of that when each interaction has been abusive verbally towards me.
0: I was at law school with Helen Wynne-Kelman, who is the Chief Justice, and I would very much ask her to reach out so that we could put her in touch with you and she can hear directly of the horrors of the family court we hear from a number of people men and women how horrific the family court system how how terribly it can be abused and how much it can traumatize New Zealanders
1: what I want is I I've gone to the family court and asked for the release of all the paperwork but they don't want to release it to me and so when I say it sounded to me and how I remember it is that they were just insulting and verbally insulting me and just being horrible to me inside these court room sort of facilities um I would like the paperwork to be released to me so I can actually show what the record says and so I haven't got access to that yet and so that to me is to is trying to have oh we're having this sort of discussion and they don't even want me to see what's happened in the past so that's in my opinion I'd feel much safer if we had a jury of our peers and we had cameras in there and then we actually did it with other people watching because at the moment it's got the like you mentioned that you were sh- saying that you didn't think they were saying that it was child abuse or whatever but to me it sounded like they were saying all these normal things were abusing children and the only thing that was good was injecting them with poisons so that's how it was in- processed processed to my brain and I don't have any of the court records of the paperwork of what they've written to say it otherwise and at the moment it's a group of people that have been aggressively verbally insulting towards me and I would like like cameras in there for example so we can actually see how it is because I'm pretty certain that when you put the spotlight on it or you got a group of other people there watching that if they are doing exactly what I think they're doing which is how I remember it then it would be pretty embarrassing for them to be able to do that with everybody knowing exactly what they're doing
0: absolutely and in this upside down world in New Zealand at the moment. The horror, the horror of it is anything is possible. Any madness seems to be possible from those in authority who are supporting this mad government we have. Pamela, you're very, you're very cogent, you're very clear thinking. You express yourself very well. Do you have, however, a lawyer? Do you have backup now? Do you have things in place? If they come after you again, certainly if they come after you again, we would love to do a follow up interview straight away and get that out to show a pattern of harassment from the police. I know Counterspin would support you. I know Sue Gray has been extraordinary and many Kiwis are supporting you. But do you have a lawyer and a system in place?
1: I don't actually um, feel completely confident because I'm still going through the family court thing and I do not want to be in there because I've felt like they are strangers that are just intentionally trying to harm me and my children I did have a a lawyer but I'm not using them anymore I've spoken to another lawyer but I'm not I'm not entirely sure about that because it all costs money to get these lawyers so what I was thinking of doing as my next thing to do was I was going to do a statement of fact and send I was intending to send it out to different people like the Minister of Children and a whole bunch of different people as a statement of fact about what's happened and also about my beliefs of what's the facts regarding the COVID-19 response from the government and how that has um, affected my life. Um, Because there's a maxim of law, which is an unrebutted statement of fact becomes presumed fact and law. And so I was thinking of doing that Um, in the near future to see if that's useful what I'd like to do is actually be completely out of the court system because there's been no positive experience that I've had from them so what I didn't mention before is that after that family court thing as soon as I came back from Wellington I was then removed from my home and so this was sort of at the same time that you can't go into a motel or hotel or holiday park on the grounds that you haven't gotten injected uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. So that was quite stressful being removed from my home when you can't even move into any, any of these other things. And that was intentional. The reason for doing that was because they didn't like me going to the Wellington protest and the um they didn't care about my housing or anything like that. So because I have only seen them acting as an intentionally harmful way with absolute disregard for my physical emotional and financial well-being and I consider that the uh, aggressive disregard for me is incredibly harmful for my children and I have not thought that it was helpful for my children what they're supposing anyway so you've got these strangers that want to dictate your life but they only want to dictate unpleasant experiences and so Mm -hmm. I want out of that system altogether because I've got no faith in them as being suitable to have any role and deciding anything for my children. They're not willing to invest a dollar for their well-being, and they're quite happy to try to get me arrested and put into a psych ward. So I don't think they should have any say in my children because they have no regard for me or my children, as far as I'm aware.
0: That's very powerfully said. How are your children? Were they very anxious after that police officer turned up?
1: It did make us all um, stressed and anxious. Um, My children have been thinking about different ways to protect themselves or if their mother gets kidnapped again by the police. No child
0: should have to worry about the police force of a country that is meant to be there to protect the people. No child should grow up being in fear of the police. That is a police force that has gone horrifically wrong.
1: Yes, so it creates more stress. So we just we want to be out of the family court system so we don't have these other external people trying to dictate what's happening in our lives. Any discussion between me and the fire of the children is better done without external forces that are trying to undermine me, because if we're equal to adults discussing, it doesn't seem to be as harmful for me as if we've got a mob of people or doing stuff to me without my consent.
0: Pamela, you, you're quite, it, it's a harrowing story. You are you are impressive what you've gone through and and retained a certain
1: calm through it. I think we need to put the spotlight onto the Mental Health Act. We need it abolished because a, according to their description of a psychosis experience, is having a delusion and delusion is having a belief different than the mainstream. And so they're actually able to lock people up for having any, original individual thought on any matter from if, if you're a Buddhist um, I'm aware of a person who was a Buddhist and they were locked up for being a Buddhist um, because it's different from the mainstream belief of New Zealanders I heard a story of a person who was locked up under the Mental Health Act on the grounds that they had a heart attack and then they were restrained because they after the heart attack they wanted to exit the health facility that was caring for them And the registered nurse didn't want them to leave, didn't want to discharge them. And so therefore they put them under the Mental Health Compulsory Assessment and Treatment Act and kept them there by force to do further treatments and procedures without that person's consent. Now, I also have heard of three other people that may have gone into the mental health facilities due to having different opinions about COVID-19 than the mainstream agenda. So we have a piece of legislation that says that if somebody says you've got a mental health disorder, they disregard everything you say. So you say, I object, I do not consent to this. This is harmful and hurts me. And they go ahead and do it anyway. And they say, oh, that's a mental health disorder. We don't need to have any regard for your opinion. So we've got to get rid of that mental health act because it is being used and abused. It's being used intentionally to hurt people who have got, an opinion different than the person who's a registered nurse or in their public servant government position. And we
0: see evidence of that in your story. The other three stories, including the Buddhist one, that is all hearsay. I have to put a caveat there, that's hearsay. If those people that you know of, if they would reach out and tell their stories to me as firsthand evidence, we can present that as fact. But until then, that remains hearsay. If anybody else is experiencing abuse, and misuse of this mental health uh, act. If if you are uh, having a similar story, a similar memory, a similar experience of horror to Pamela, please reach out. And finally, with the money, I need to clear that. you are, are you doing this to make money or are you asking for money so that this horror stops in your life?
1: You had mentioned whether or not people can give and donate for legal expenses and for... That's that sort of area, that would be appreciated. I'm not doing this for money. What I am wanting to do in the future is I'm wanting to also um, campaign against the Mental Health Act. I think it's very harmful. It's disrespecting of people and their personhood, and that cannot possibly improve people's mental health outcome. And so the treatment that they're doing to these people is very degrading. And it's not resulting in an improvement in their health. It's going to only result in them feeling less well off. People are being locked up for having delusion, which is an opinion, which is different from the mainstream. And so this can be used and abused because people can use it for to attack you on your freedom of speech, on your religious belief, on your cultural beliefs and customs. Um, it means that you can be locked up when you haven't harmed yourself, you haven't harmed anybody else, You're perfectly well and hoping within society, but they're out to get you on any number of those particular things on the human rights bill. So because it violates the human rights bill, this bill needs to go. It is not helpful for anybody who is suffering from a mental health condition to have lights on 24 hours a day, have people staring at them all the time and to be unable to access food or drink when they want it and to be locked in solitary confinement. Those things don't improve your mental health. And so the mental health treatment is actually being used as a punishment for people with opinions that the government doesn't like. So we need to remove that um, entire thing. So the mental health industry has got a long history of extreme abuse and violations of human rights. It's very dark closet of horrible things happen in that area. We need to respect human rights They are inalienable. They cannot be removed. And if somebody doesn't consent to a medical treatment or assessment, they have a right to opt out of that medical treatment or assessment. You can't claim that you respect that personhood if you don't even let them have any control over their own bodily integrity, or you won't allow them freedom of movement, or you won't allow them freedom of association, or freedom to see their friends, or freedom to do their hobbies or their interests. Um, So you're locked in this room and they don't, they deprive you of your friends, your communication, your ability to talk, your access to lawyers, your ability to do your normal hygiene routine and put your makeup on and get dressed and have a shower and use a towel. So it's all dehumanizing and degrading of the person and they claim it's for the person's good. So it's not for the good. So that act needs to go. Every act and legislation that is a violation of human rights needs to go. So the COVID-19 Response Act and the traffic light system was a violation of people's human rights, so it has to go. Mental Health Act violates human rights, it has to go. We need to have that the human rights are the supreme thing that we have all our laws founded on. All those things that are undermining the farmer's ability to make profits from growing food, and those need to go as well. We've got so much legislation which is degrading of the human person and making their lives more stressful, that we actually need to lift that burden off people. That's brilliant. The family court system seems to be based on this belief that total strangers who are not the biological mother or father has got more rights over the children than the biological mother or father. That system needs to go as well because that's an adversary system that creates conflict. The lawyers make more money the more conflict there is. So they're actively trying to create conflict by doing uh, conflict inflating activities and words to um, generate more revenue for themselves. And it's not in the children's best interest. It's excellent what you say. Summed up, the state
0: needs to get out of our lives. We've all had enough. If you're sensible in New Zealand, practical and reasonable and intelligent, you will recognise the state overreach has just gone far too far and they're not adding to our lives. They're taking away from the quality of life in New Zealand. Your story is testament to that. Pamela, it's been a real honour to talk to you. Your sang your sort of cool head in the light of such horror mm. is, I've said it a number of times, it's impressive. And we are always here to back you up if they try any time again to cause harassment or upset or, or do any harm to you, which is clearly not justified and certainly not deserved. Thank you, Pamela Taylor.
1: Thank you very much.